in a dream world, I could take it all away. And the reality is right now at this age, I can take a lot of it away. I can prevent it. I can say, I can advocate at school. I can make sure he's involved in every social group. I can go up to the kid in the playground and say like, oh no, he's going to play too, right? Like I can make a lot of these things go away right now. And then I'm not going to be there. And then he's going to get rejected at the bar, right? And like, then what? I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. I hear a term that is frequently being used, but for many, we may not actually understand what it is or how it is even developed. And no, I'm not talking about gaslighting or narcissism, although those are two words that are commonly misused, but we'll have to save that for a conversation another day. Today, I'm talking about emotional intelligence. It's often confused as well with other words like social intelligence or proprioception, which is the ability to know where your body is in space and time. I won't get caught up in all of these fancy words. But today, we're going to talk about building emotional intelligence with our children, but not just with them, also within ourselves. We can't teach something if we don't know what it is that we're doing, if we don't know where to start, which is why I'm so excited to be sitting with Alyssa Black Campbell today from Seed and Sew. Before I tell you about Alyssa, I have another exciting announcement to make. I know there have been so many in the past few weeks. Today is truly meaningful to me because of the role I got to take in it. Today is the launch day for the audiobook. I didn't sign up for this. Why is it so dear for me? Because back at the beginning of August, I spent an entire week in a recording studio here in Ottawa with an amazing director zooming in from LA and a great team in the studio here. And we recorded this over eight hour audiobook. I narrated the book. And on one hand, I learned so much about what it means to narrate a book. I also chuckled because there were many words that I mispronounce or that I accent my vowels in a very different way than other people do. But then the other piece was sinking back into these stories, these very real stories of people that I've worked with and the struggles that we have. And it was surreal to see how the emotion would come over me again and needing to almost practice this like leaning in and leaning out of the the words and the story. So I don't know about you. I am always a huge fan of getting both an audiobook and the physical copy. I love to be able to go back to the copy and look at the exercises and underline and sticky note. And then I love taking my favorite authors with me on the go. So I would love for you to check it out. 
And if you have already grabbed the book, I would be so grateful to have you pause and leave me a review on Amazon. I read all of your words. Your reviews and ratings help others find the book. It takes a moment to click on Amazon to verify your purchase. If you didn't buy it through Amazon, that's okay. You can still leave a few words. You could also leave it on goodreads.com. Let me tell you now about today's guest. Alyssa Blask Campbell, CEO of Seed and Sew, has a master's degree in early childhood education, is a leading expert in emotional development, and travels the globe speaking on the topic. Her podcast, Voices of Your Village, is a gathering place for parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts, creating a modern parenting village and reaches listeners in more than 100 countries. Seed and Sew serves people across the globe through speaking, consulting, online courses, and early childhood professional development programs, sharing tools and expertise to build emotional intelligence. She has been featured as an expert in publications such as the Washington Post, Burlington Free Press, and Family Education. Alyssa's show-up-as-you-are approach welcomes people into her village to get support at all ages and stages shame-free. As she says, it's never too early or too late to start. Let's go into today's episode. Alyssa, I'm so thrilled to be sitting with you today. You have built a powerful community with Seed and So, and your own podcast, The Voices of Your Village, and now your much anticipated book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions. I am excited for this conversation. So thank you for sitting with me today. Yeah, I'm so jazzed to get to hang out with you, Tracy. Thanks for having me. The book is coming out on October 10th. So tell us about Tiny Humans, Big Emotions. Tell us about the book and all that you are doing. Yeah, totally. My master's is in early childhood and I was working as, uh, I've been in the field in a number of different roles, but at the time I was working as a teacher in a school that was attached to a university. And a colleague of mine was like, hey, I think we're doing something different do you want to write a book on it? And I was young and whatever. I was like, sure. Yeah, great. And um, then as we started to dive into like, what were we even doing? Right. So we started video lessoning each other and like really learning more about it. And what we realized was that so much of what we had learned around social emotional development, around raising emotionally intelligent kids, focused on the kids. It focused on here's what to say or do in the moment. And it was like a one size fits all. Here's what to say or do. And it wasn't working for us a lot of the time that like, even if it was like the right thing to say to that kid or do with that specific kid in the moment, I would open my mouth and like my mom would come out from my childhood. Right. And sometimes that's great. Sometimes I totally want to pass that on. And sometimes I've spent a lot of time and money in therapy trying to not pass that on. And everything that I'd learned in that workshop is like out the window in the moment because the kid slapped me across the face or threw a block or whatever. And I'm triggered and I don't have access to compassion in that moment. I want to like fight a three-year-old and So what we, when we were diving into this, what we were realizing was that like so much of our practice and what we were doing was focused on us. It was focused on us as the adult and diving into our own self-awareness and our own biases and 
what we're bringing from childhood and what it actually looked like to take care of our nervous system throughout the day. That like self-care piece, it's been so buzzwordy in a really cool way, but often I think feels unattainable. And it's like, yeah, I don't have a spare 20 minutes or I don't have a spare evening to go out with friends. We were looking at what does it really look like to nurture a nervous system and what does my nervous system need versus what does your nervous system need and that those can be different. And so we started to dive into the science and we were looking for just a framework that really encompassed what we were doing. We found bits and pieces in different spaces, but nothing comprehensive. So we created the collaborative emotion processing method. We call it CEP, C-E-P for short. And we partnered with that university and we researched it across the US. And that's what this book is built off of. And it's really how we raise emotionally intelligent humans. It's not a one size fits all, spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. We really help adults (laughs) dive into ourselves and then learn about these kids' nervous systems, that they're all different. And anyone who's ever interacted with two kids (laughs) knows like, what this kid responds to her needs is going to be different than when this kid responds to her needs. And so for us, what became really crucial was teaching that of like, how do you understand the kid in front of you? What does that look like? And then once you do, what are some things that are helpful? Um, How can we navigate that? I'm thinking about one of the hardest pieces actually of parenting for me is that I can turn to one child and something works and then I turn to the other (laughs) one and it's complete opposite outcome. And that piece that you're saying there, I think is so important is acknowledging that we all have different nervous systems and that there's not one right or wrong nervous system, but rather this is what yours looks like. And then I think the other piece on top of that is now how do we get the skills and tools to work for everybody in a way that is going to be taken in, right? So I I know that the way I can talk about strategies with my one kid is going to be different than with the other, my my deep feeler, my highly sensitive child. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have chatted about this too in in couples that what I need in the moment is different than what my husband needs in the moment. And that it really applies to just us as humans. Mm. And I think we can see it with older humans, with adults, sometimes easier than we can see it with kids where kids were like, well, I did this thing and they're just not responding. They're misbehaving. They're defiant, right? Like we, we start to look at the approach as a one size fits all and that the kid just doesn't fit into it versus as adults. It's like, oh yeah, well, that's not how it works for me. Like your husband's a giant introvert and I'm not. And so the way that our nervous system works is different and there's acceptance around that. For us as adults, we can have conversation without judgment with one another. But when it comes to kids, I think often we want them to just be a certain way or we expect them to. And often it's the way that we are. And so we can relate to my son, who is two and a half, and I are like a sensory mismatch. What he is sensitive to are things that I crave. What he craves and what regulates him are things that I'm sensitive to. And so for me, yeah, it was a lot of like, it is still a lot of like in the moment being like, okay, let's say, yes, you would like to have a hug right now. Like that's what you would want, or you would want somebody to touch you. And that's the last thing he wants. I can really connect to that because here I am doing not just the work with my clients, the sense of helping them to 
build boundaries, better communication, heal their nervous systems, heal those old wounds. And I'm doing a lot of validation and empathy and reflection as part of my core being in the therapeutic relationship. And then I go home being who I am in that therapist person. And then my kid is having a hard time. And I'm saying, yeah, buddy, these feelings, like you're really upset and says, I'm not upset. And then runs down the hall and slams the door. And immediately in that moment, all I'm thinking is stomping down the hall, throwing the door open and saying, if you slam your door one more time, I'm going to take your door off. And it's like, and when they were three, you know, you don't do that to a three-year-old. You don't do that to your kids at all. But it's sure. the, like, like my mind was the thought of, am I actually thinking of threatening to take off my three-year-old's door? Because <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It resonates. <laughs> right? Right. And it, yeah. it, it, so I really connected to that part of you saying of like, there's such this like difference there of how you show up and then how your child shows up. And I think there is a really big learning piece for us there of acknowledging differences Mm -hmm. without judgment without judgment support for today's episode comes from zocdoc we all know there are things in life we have to compromise on like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. 
sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year, and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft, and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100-night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable, and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. And just to tap into that couple piece there, because you and I had recently talked about this, which is, you know, sometimes our partners need space and time but others need to work through it right away. And also, Alyssa, I'm the one that likes to work through it right away. And my husband, similar to yours, (laughs) right? Needs that space and time. And I'm the one saying, let's work through it. I want to like, let we need to solve the problem right now. And when I can see, like when I can do that self other perspective of being able to see, oh, his nervous system is different than mine. And he needs time and space. He needs to go into himself and think this through and then come back to me. And that's really hard work to do. So hard. And I think with kids, there can be the added layer of like, and I'm supposed to teach them how to be a functional member of society. And hitting their sister when they're mad isn't a way that they're going to succeed in life. And it's my job to teach them not to. And so especially if we are a we need to figure this out right now, human. Hello, this is me. <laughs> I, I admit this. Uh, <laughs> then uh, it's really tough in the moment when the behavior is happening to not go into that. That like we don't hit here. That's not a kind way to behave. If you want her attention, you can blah, blah, blah. We can jump right to the problem solving because we want to instill these values. And we're going to do it right now whether you can take it in right now or not. And it becomes a thing that we are really doing for us. And it's not about them. 
in that moment. It's about us. Uh, but we don't, you know, it's not conscious. I'm not in the moment like this is about me and I'm going to do it anyway. It feels like this is what I'm supposed to do mm. um, as his parent. And I, we dive into a lot of that. Like, when do you talk about the behavior and recognizing that for some kids, right, kind of close to when things are happening is helpful for them. They want to be able to talk it through. And for other kids, like my husband, if it's actually going to sink in and be productive, they need time and space. And how do you know who's who? And when do you come back to it and all that jazz? There's so much around it. I'm curious if you noticed early on shame with your child. Totally, yeah. Very much so. And he will, at this point, I just this morning, actually, he, we are on the road and he was in bed. He'd like come out of the pack and play, was in bed with me and we were reading a book and he started to get like ready to leave bed and go and get some breakfast and he's getting antsy and he hit me. And I said, buddy, that really hurt. I'm not going to let you hurt my body and put my hand up and like my face definitely reacted. And I saw him immediately like become a turtle, right? Where he just like went inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And exactly. And then sometimes for him, there'll be an, an immediate other behavior that then is usually coming from embarrassment or shame. Mm -hmm. And he, at that point, like reached out and he pushed the book toward me that we'd been reading. And I was like, oh, I'm wondering if you're feeling embarrassed about what just happened. And he like paused. And sometimes mentioning a feeling for him is not the right move. <laughs> so it can be dicey. And I, and he like paused and I said, I'm not mad at you. I know you didn't want to hurt my body. I think we're both ready to go get some breakfast. And your body was ready to move. Do you want to just go get breakfast with me? And like, this is for me, one of those, this is a reparenting thing where that's not how that would have gone down in my household growing up. <laughs> I could not have hit one of my parents. <laughs> and then they would have been like, don't worry, I'm not mad at you. You want to go get breakfast? Right. Um, but I but knew it came out more moment. as the like, how dare you? What were you mm -hmm. thinking? You should know better. You're not mm -hmm. allowed to hit. It's mm -hmm. never okay. Right. And like, I'm going to teach you that. And for me, I was like, he already knows that. He knows that. And what he really needs in this moment is to feel connected and safe with me. And then later I came back to him. I was like, hey, bud, next time when your body starts to feel jittery and you're ready to leave the bed, we can just go get breakfast. You can say, mama, I feel hungry. Mom, I'm ready to go downstairs. Mm. And then it'll be work for me to help him notice those jitters when they come up before it kind of explodes, right? That it is this like ongoing process. But what he doesn't need in that moment is to know he's not supposed to hit me. He knows that one already. Right. And and that I think is something really hard that we struggle with. And it's a conversation we have at home too. It's like, well, how are we teaching our kids these things? So, you know, one of them has this big outburst of feelings. They're overwhelmed. They're overstimulated. We had said like, oh, hey, watch the milk. And then maybe the milk spills and da, da, da. And then, then they're yelling, I hate you, running down the door, slamming the door. And inside of us, we're like, well, is this okay? It, right. And the big piece there that I'm learning, again, that reparenting moment is he already knows that that's not great to do that. And <laughs> to yell, I hate you. He already feels all of that deep shame inside. And mm -hmm. that's really hard. I was the reason I asked about shame is I remember noticing it at a really early age and working with shame with adults. I had understood this in some ways as 
yes, of course, this is a core human experience that we have, but often shame comes through the experiences with our parents of being shamed. Mm -hmm. I was so surprised to see my child where in an environment that we're not shaming that Mm -hmm. he was so quick to shame. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I think it is that like they know better, right? And that feeling and and, uh, we break down um, highly sensitive into two categories and sometimes they overlap, but we break it down as sensory sensitive and emotionally sensitive. Um, And again, sometimes there's overlap there that kids could be both emotionally sensitive and sensory sensitive. Um, But for our emotionally sensitive kids, they're really in tune with the emotions of people around them, right? They have really good interceptive awareness. They're really aware of what's happening in their body. uh, And then they can feed off of that like energy in the room, right? Mm. They're really, really in tune with it. And they usually have really good social awareness. And for them, shame can be huge because they're so in tune with it that I didn't have to say a whole lot. My face could say quite a bit in bed in the morning when that happened, that he then immediately is like, oh, shoot, you know, like my nervous system's already communicating with his and there's a little dance going on there. And I I think that's one of the things that I actually don't want him to never experience shame or guilt or embarrassment, I want him to have resilience for shame Mm. and to start to learn what does it feel like inside when you're feeling that. And one question that I like to ask myself like in those moments is, is this a skill that I know he has and just isn't accessing in the moment? Or is he building a new skill? Like, does he not know that he can't hit me when this is happening? Or does he know that and he just can't access that? And so I have to then look at how do I help him access that in the moment? What does that look like? If he's overwhelmed, if he's overstimulated, or he's not aware of what it feels like inside of his body, when he's ready to go downstairs and get breakfast, then that's what I'm working on. But if he's not yet aware that hitting is not a way to communicate this, then I would say like, yeah, hitting hurts my body, but here's another way that we can do that. Uh, and so that's a question, a distinction for me. And like the kid who's storming down the hall and slamming the door, is this a skill that they already have where they know, Hey, here's what I could do. And we often find that in the outside of the moment when we have that conversation or like talking to them and they can tell us what they could do in the moment. And then they just keep not doing it in the moment. Then it's the, they don't have access to that skill. Just like, I don't walk to my husband after work and I'm like snippy and sarcastic because I think it's going to be the most productive way to navigate this conversation. Walk up to him because I don't have access to my other skills in that moment and I'm dysregulated. And it requires a lot (laughs) to build awareness and notice what we're feeling and then regulate so that we can access self-control. And that's what I'm really curious about. It's like, are we building this awareness piece Mm. so that they can regulate so they can access self-control. We go deep into that in the book. Yes. I'm I'm chuckling a little bit because it's like, and sometimes when you're just feeling that loss of connection with your partner and it just feels good to do that little nitpicking part because you're like, sure. it's like the child mode, right? Of like, knock, knock, you're going to pay attention to me. I want any mm-hmm. kind of attention from you. So I'm going to come to you and totally. nitpick at all these things. But really it's that I'm saying, connect with me, hug me, hold me, be close yeah. with me. You said, I don't want him to never feel shame, et cetera. And I think that is so important. 
And it is such a shift. If I even think back to, gosh, like 10, 15 years ago, where it's like, okay, we're trying to like swoop up and vacuum all of the hard emotions where, you know, here's a sports team and nobody gets a trophy and we don't keep score. Even though, you know, the kids are all keeping score. You know, all the parents are all keeping mm-hmm. score. But it's like, we don't want anyone to feel disappointment or or rejection or sadness yeah. or loss. And yet one of the things that you said right there that is so important is that we can't take these hard emotions away from our children because we want to teach them the resilience. Mm-hmm. And I will, so gosh, this was so many years ago now, but I remember sitting in front of a, I see 18 and above. So, um, you know, emerging adult, not quite an adult. And they had been rejected at the bar by someone that they wanted to connect with. And that individual went home with a suicidal plan and didn't know what to do with that level of rejection. Mm-hmm. and yeah it's that, terrifying that's terrifying if we mm-hmm. don't let our children feel these feelings and not just to be swept away with it but to then have the tools with them to go that's through it. these hard things it's such an important distinction in the book we lay out five phases of emotion processing the five phases that we go through to process emotions not to shove them down not to just like make them stop but to really process emotions and Phase three is security in our feelings. And this is where like, we know it's safe for me to feel this because I won't feel this way forever. And the problem is when we don't allow kids to feel things or we allow it on a very short timeline, we're like, okay, allowed them to feel this check. Now let's move through it. What they learn is like, I'm really not supposed to be feeling this. I'm supposed to make this thing stop or I'm failing for feeling ultimately. And so their nervous system gets used to like, oh, this feeling's coming up. We've got to make that go away. And it tries like hell to make it go away. And it's like quicksand. The more you try, the deeper you get. And then we have things like fear turning into anxiety where we spiral into it because we keep trying to make it go away. And I absolutely hate seeing my child experience something hard right like it's the worst Mm -hmm. and in a dream world I could take it all away and the reality is right now at this age I can take a lot of it away I can prevent it I can say I can advocate at school I can make sure he's involved in every social group I can go up to the kid in the playground and say like oh no he's gonna play too right like I can make a lot of these things go away right now And then I'm not going to be there. And then he's going to get rejected at the bar, right? And like, then what? Then what does he do? And what's the story he has about himself in those moments of who am I because I'm experiencing this and I'm not supposed to, right? I never did growing up. I learned I'm not supposed to have this feeling. I'm supposed to make it go away. I'm supposed to avoid it. And I again, hate that he has to experience hard things and see it as a huge part of my job to help him learn how to experience hard things while he's with me. I think this is this piece of parenting that we, I wasn't aware of, 
I don't want to say I didn't you didn't sign up, sign up for. I love it. That, you know, becoming a parent, my God, like, gosh, it just, we, we planned all the things, right? Like, is this a financially good time? Is this a good time in our career? And, and yet we don't do this preparation of, of that, mm-hmm. of just all of the, I have to go through all of this hard stuff. I get to go through all this hard stuff, but it's, it's hard. And it's so hard. Well, we don't want ourselves to go through it. Right. Like, right. I know what it feels like to feel left out. Mm. I remember that feeling. I know it so well. And so to see him sit in that feeling and not feel included is painful for little me. Mm -hmm. Right. But knows what it feels like to not feel included. And I want to fight like hell for him to never have to feel that to protect him from it of course and unfortunately i live in a world where i can't right and so yeah. then it's that like hard reality of you know what it was also okay for a little me to feel left out and what would have made it more tolerable potentially was to have a toolbox for what do i do with this feeling who do i turn to with this feeling mm-hmm. and what happens next I think so many people can connect to that and not just for, for listeners thinking of not just your child, but also the inner child inside of you, that part mm-hmm. of you that wished you had a tool, wished you had someone there, wished you could yeah. say, Hey, actually, I really need this right now. And, you know, we, our parents did their best with what they had. And for many, there's a mismatch in what you yeah. need and what you got. It, it It is this piece of like, really, I, I was, this was several, several years ago now, but sharing with a parent at the park, I had said I was teaching my son assertiveness skills. And that, that's my therapist label of what, what I'm, what I was teaching mm-hmm. in the sense of like how to say what I want to need. Um, and she had reflected back exactly that feeling of like, oh, I guess, yeah, we need to teach this stuff. Like it is this teaching, mm-hmm. giving the skills and tools. And um, I know what you talk about in your book, which is so important, is recognizing that their brains, our child's brains are not fully developed in the way that ours are now, but mm-hmm. theirs are not. Yeah. And there's a lot of skills in life that we do just learn, right? Like, unless there is a disability or a challenge coming in the way in some capacity, like most kids are going to crawl. They're going to learn to walk. They're going to learn certain things along the way. Probably learn their alphabet. Might learn to read, right? Like with a little scaffolding and a little coaching, there's going to, emotional intelligence isn't one of those. And we know that because if you pause and you look around at the adults around you, there's a lot of adults around you that have low emotional intelligence skills, right? Like don't have self-awareness or don't have the self, uh, self-regulation self or struggle with empathy or intrinsic motivation or those social skills. And so for us, when we look at this, we're like, gosh, it's it, what's really hard is that it does have to be taught. And so many of us are learning right now, right? Learning that we are learning it. as we're teaching. And that that's, I think, the most challenging part. So our book is broken up into three parts. And part one, it's all about us. It's the science, it's nerdy, and it's about the adults. And in part two, which is what people often come to us for, right? They're like, tell me what to do with the kids. That's (laughs) where we dive into the kids. But the reality is, if we didn't give you part one, 
part two is going to sound great on paper and then you're going to open your mouth and it's not what's going to come out. It's not going to Or work. you're going to look at that kid exactly in the yeah. moment and you're not going to feel compassion for them. You're going to be like, what a spoiled brat. Why are they being so dramatic? Gosh, they're so lazy. Right? Like those are the things that are going to come up for us in those moments versus like, oh man, they're having a really hard time. I wonder what they need. Mm-hmm. And then part three is like special circumstances. So navigating transitions, like a new childcare, new school, divorce, um, move, new baby, things like that. Um, and things like building our village. What does it look like to not do this alone? Yeah. All that jazz. <laughs> Which is huge because, um, you know, thinking of our conversation together and um, just thinking of your podcast title as well of like, oh, the village, <laughs> like the number of times I can recall where, you know, I have some kind of virus on one day, then Greg's got it the next day. And I am like <laughs> pulling my body together to run the kids to school and then run to my office. And we're tag teaming because the, you know, what, what that our village happens to not live. Our parents uh, don't live in the same city as us. So we've had to learn to like, reach out and depend on others so that we can survive so that we that is part of our own nervous system regulation you had said self-care when I say to the kids I'm not doing bedtime tonight I know that it's so hard I know it's been hard that we haven't had as much time together lately especially with the book launch and everything else that's been going on um and but then when I go and see my friends that is that like deeper coming into this um, I'm looking for the word ventral vagal, right? Of, in the sense mm. of like being calm and regulated. Mm-hmm. And that is a drop into my bucket. So then the next day when we wake up and it is as it is the breakfast routine and getting up <laughs> sure. the door, right? <laughs> I am the connected parent. I can yeah. ride through that with them. Totally. I'm so excited for your book. And I, I need to give you this aha moment for me. And this is this piece around, um, well, I know something we, we all struggle with, which is um, around consequences, discipline, rewards, mm. punishments, like those, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things tend to come together when they're all very different things. <laughs> but what I loved what you had said, and what's funny is it in some ways connects back to our conversation on your podcast that you and I had. Yeah. So your book says expressed boundaries plus consequences equals known expectations. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you give us more about that? Yeah. So I think so often we have this internal dialogue, internal monologue rather, where we have an expectation all the time, whether we're aware of our expectation or not. I am expecting to get up make breakfast, get things moving, get out the door, et cetera. And there isn't a part of my expectation where I'm like, oh yeah, and Sage is going to hate that pair of shoes and chuck them across the room or whatever, right? Like that's not a part of what's happening in my head. And so when I think first and foremost is getting to know like, what's my expectation here? What was my expectation? There was this little kid in our research who was one of my favorites because I feel like I learned so much from him. But he would say when things would like go awry and he would have a hard feeling, he would go, oh, that wasn't my expectation. And I was like, oh my God, that's so brilliant because that's really what it is, is that 
he was trying to build something and he thought if I put this block on top of this block, it's going to stand up. It's going to keep going. And then it would crash. And he was like, that wasn't my expectation. I was expecting this and that's not what happened. But so often we can spiral into this other space. But the expectation part, first and foremost, what's our expectation here? Uh, and to let kids know, like, this is the expectation that we're going to go into the grocery store. Here's how this is going to kind of play out. So the expectation part at the end is what we're trying to really get at. It's like, what are those expectations for me? What can I expect from you? What are the expectations from me? And when we pop these two together, the boundaries, a kid knows, like, here's the boundary. And a boundary for me is all about, like, what am I going to accept? What can you expect from me is what the boundary says. That if you don't want a kid to jump on the couch and I say to them, hey, bud, I am going to walk over and I can help you down from the couch so that you can go jump on the trampoline. Or if you have another space, they can get that input. Great. Uh, Or if you want to do it by yourself, you can do it before I get over there. That's the boundary, right? The no jumping on the couch is already our rule. The boundary is what you can expect from me. The consequence is built into that of like, consequentially, if I get over there, I'm going to help you down safely, right? And so boundary, we're not jumping on the couch. Consequence, if I get over there, I'm going to help you down safely. Now they know what to expect from Mm. me. Does that make sense? That like, there's a known expectation here that when I get over there, I also then have to follow through with my boundary in this moment because and not let them keep jumping correct. or not, not, not keep kind of using words. A, and, yes. <laughs> and then I pop in and I say, oh, buddy, I'm going to help you safely down from there. Boom. And then there, it also, for the record, I've never set a boundary and held it and had a, been, had a kid be like, great, I can't wait to follow this. Like, this is <laughs> awesome. I love it. Right. And so part of it is our expectation that when I get over there and I help them safely down from the couch, that they might have some hard feelings about this. They might be disappointed or they might feel frustrated. And then I'm navigating that with them. And we walk through that whole thing in our boundaries chapter of the book um, to lay out like, what does that look like? How do you set and hold boundaries? What to expect from them? All that jazz. Uh, But yeah, I think like for us, these like clear expectations are huge. And so often it's just in our head (laughs) that we're not saying it out loud. Like here's the boundary. Here's the consequence. And now you know what to expect from me. So now you get to make a choice. It's I was chuckling there because it's we do this in our adult relationships as well. It's like, okay, so I'm going to do this with my in-law or with my parent or a sibling or a friend and a boss. And I'm like, okay, here is what I need and here's what's going to happen. And we wish for them to say, oh, Melissa, thank you so much. Thank you for telling me what you wanted and needed. It's absolutely not what I want to do or hear from you, but I'm so happy you told me I will grant you that two-week vacation right in our busy, right? Like we, you know, we want them them to be happy with our boundaries and yet they're not. And that that is that hard part, I think, for us is that that internal desire for us, for someone to hold the mirror and reflect back to us. It's okay. Hey, Alyssa, you're good. You're good. You got this, right? So we want our kids to yeah. be happy. We want our partners or family members to be happy 
which comes back to that that kind of piece what you're doing in your first section, which is like we've got to work on that part about ourselves of totally not trying not trying to be the good parent. Well, and well, hang on, it's sorry, so let me rephrase hard. That. Not trying yeah. to be the the tell me or hold up the mirror that I'm the good parent. To tell me that I'm a good parent. Yes, exactly. Tell me that like it's parent. your job to tell me this. And it's your job right. to tell me this in your actions and in your behavior mm-hmm. and in your regulation. And what, and I, I think especially when it's things where we're doing it differently than we were raised, where maybe we don't have a model for it yet, right? And mm-hmm. so after you set that boundary and you do it, you're like, is that how this is supposed to play out? Mm-hmm. Is this how this goes? Like, I don't know. I didn't see it. Versus like, if you do it, maybe the same way you were raised and it was something that didn't feel good for you as a child, you might feel that guilt inside where you're like, okay, I, I know that that's not how I want to do it. And you might have that immediate kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. Or if it's something that maybe is something you're doing the same way you were raised. Like mm-hmm. if a child's running into the street and you just go and you scoop them up, whether they're happy about it or not, you stop them from running into the street. Maybe that's what would have happened for you as a kid. Like, and you're like, yeah, I know that they're allowed to be upset about this and I'm not gonna let them get hit by a car because they're disappointed that I'm gonna pick them up. Like maybe that one feels easier for you. Right. And inside like the car seat battle, that. right? The car seat exactly. battle always feels easier. It's like, this is what you have to do. We have yeah. to put the car seat. I know you're not happy about it. And I'm putting the straps on right now. Yeah, exactly. That there are some, I think, when especially around safety yeah. that come up that we're like, yeah, this sucks that it has to play out like this right now. And- I do believe I'm doing the right thing. And Mm. when it's not about safety and it's about growth and development and building these emotional intelligence skills that it can feel like unknown for us Mm. and uncomfortable of that, like, is this how I'm supposed to do this? If I've never seen it done before? Right. So after reading this, I kept thinking, where's the mental load example in this? Because, you know, I love to do this. I love to take the parents, the things we do with our children, because Mm -hmm. we're all in relationship with others. So express boundaries, though, that would be we're going to take clothes on the floor. So laundry happens to be your task, but your partner loves to leave clothes on the floor. And the express boundary is I'm not going to pick up your clothes. I need you to put the clothes in the laundry basket. The consequence, so express boundaries plus consequence. The consequence is that those aren't going to be washed. You're not going to have that clean shirt for your meeting yeah. on Thursday. And I is... wouldn't even put it as your clothes won't be. Mm. I'm going to wash all the clothes that are in the basket. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Mm. Equals the known expectation. Correct. Nada, you won't have this. Let me tell you what it, how it's going to play out for you. But like the consequence is I'm going to wash everything that is in the basket. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have to, I'm, I'm really like sitting with that. So then I'm, they get to decode, like, what does that mean for me? Right. Now for younger kids, kids in general, I would break down They're like, I'm going to wash the things in the basket. So if it's not in the basket, it won't get washed. It's mm-hmm. not something that you will have to wear the next time that you need it or whatever. You might not have it to, or it won't be clean the next time you need it. But for an adult, I don't think I would give that explicit second part. I think for me as an adult receiving that, it would feel condescending, right? Like, it would be like <laughs> yeah, I get what happens when you show up. It's not in the basket if you don't wash it. Um, and so I think I would take that part and shift to just mm. like, yeah, I love that. I'm going to wash what's in the basket. Alyssa, I am so grateful for our <laughs> conversation today. I, I'm going to replay that one in my mind and keep, <laughs> keep thinking about that one. because I, I, lo- I love the shift of it. Um, tell us about your book. 
tell us about yeah. where we can find it and where we can find you and connect with you. Sweet. Thank you. Well, thank you. I feel like I could hang out with you forever. It's so easy to chat. Tiny Humans, Big Emotions is the title of the book. It's located everywhere books are sold and it's out on October 10th. Uh, so in just a few days, here. in yeah. just a few days, or maybe you're listening a little bit late and it's out already. Mm-hmm. So go grab the book. Yeah. And if you're listening right now, um, when you snag it, you can go to www.seedandso.org slash book to order it. And then after you snag it, let us know. You can pop your name and email in. And we have a whole like packet of free goodies, like bonuses for you before the book comes out that we'll send your way for you to dive into and get started on this work. So, you know, waiting for a book to ship to you can be hard um, to be through those in for you. And you can follow along at seed.and.so, S-E-W. If you're tuning in right now, if you want to take a screenshot and share it on your social and tag Tracy and tag me and let's keep the conversation going. I want to hear like, what was your aha moment or what do you want to learn more about? What are you like? Yeah, cool. Sounds great in theory, but like in practice, this is how it plays out with my kid. Like, <laughs> let's keep chatting. I love having those conversations. Um, so tag us and let us know what else is coming up and we can go deeper in to this work together. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Thank you for being here with us. Remember this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. See you next week. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.